Hey everyone, welcome back to Music Attic Podcast. I'm Joe. And this is Will. And I'm super glad to have you back with me this week after that clusterfuck of an episode that I did by myself. Oh man, come on. That, I thought that was a very well done episode. Uh, I think we've already had a, a pretty long text conversation about the fact that if this doesn't work out, we definitely have a future as jazz DJs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that far, but I'll take the compliment. Hey, I'll, I'll listen to Doom Jazz anytime you want to talk about it, so... Uh, that was a good ride home listening to the other night, so don't sell yourself short. I thought it was great. Well, thank you very much. So uh, we are doing a review show this week. Trevor Something actually dropped a complete surprise album a couple weeks ago, and we both have spent pretty much two whole weeks with the album, and both of us have some pretty extensive things to say about it. Oh, I agree. I uh, I think we were both kind of surprised because Trevor Something's an artist who uh, – who's never really operated within the uh, the normal parallels of your typical recording artist. Uh, you just go and listen to his previous uh, work. Almost every single album he's released has a different feel or even sound. Um, he's a pretty uh, he's pretty much a musical chameleon, and he kind of works at his own pace. And, you know, we went from having an album, I think he dropped, what, November of last year? The we reviewed the... Uh, the Ultra Paranoia album, I think it was an October or November release. Yeah, it was, a, it was a late release. So you're talking less than six months, and you've got two fully fully formed full-length albums. Yeah, and both completely different. I mean, Ultra Paranoia was a straight-up fucking club banger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who are uninitiated, Trevor Something is a new retrowave synth artist that Will and I have been listening to now for a few years. And Ultra Paranoia, his album from last year, made our top... Albums of 2018 list on both of our lists. Absolutely. It was uh, it was one of those ones that was a surprise, late, dark horse edition, and it ended up being in my top five. Absolutely. So, Will, you want to start it off with oh, your review? Yeah, sure. Um, just to, to give you a little bit of backstory on this album for me, um, where every single album that this guy's released has been something a little different. Uh, most of it has a, like Joe said, a very club, very Miami feel because I think it's he's a he's a Florida based artist, so you definitely get that '80s disco, cocaine on the tables, uh, you know, drenched in neon sort of feeling. Most of his stuff, but he had never released a, a straight up dream wave or pop wave album, and uh, that's what Bots Don't Cry is. It's definitely a departure, and. Uh, Listening to it a couple times through here, like Joe said, the last two weeks I've had some time to gestate on it, and it's, it tells a story. It's got a pretty fully formed trajectory if you listen to the song start to finish from beginning to end. Absolutely. it's. Uh, I actually approached this album, I listened to it like four times, and I wasn't paying attention to the lyrics. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's something here. And I actually broke this album down song by song, lyrically instead of musically, because I thought it was more beautiful, a piece of artwork as far as a story is concerned than musically, I think. I, I completely agree with that. That's one of those situations where I think we were talking earlier. Usually when I'm listening to a record, first few times through, I just kind of, I take it in as it is. I don't really get really focused on wordplay, but it was pretty apparent from track one, which is I Want Your Love, that... He was on a different level here. Um, it was definitely a shocker because he doesn't sing a lot about the traditional uh, terminology of love. It's usually more of a physical sort of thing. From the opening of the first track, you get a very decidedly 80s movie cameo, like, you know, cut in of a, of a girl talking to him, begging him to stay, and then he, she wants his love. And yeah, they, I didn't know whether to take that tongue in cheek or seriously. I was a little. 
weirded a, out by that. There's a couple times in this album where I had that same feeling. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit later in uh, The Chemical of Love, uh, because that's another one that I thought was interesting. And uh, also, uh, which one was it? Um, but yeah, yeah, and yeah. The other song that I, I had an issue, not an issue, because I actually really, really, at first didn't know what to think of it. But that it's the title track. It's Bots Don't Cry because it has a pseudo Barry White intro. And if uh, yeah, any any kid growing up in the '80s that had a little bit of love for '80s East Coast R&B, aka New Jack, you will be a fan of this album just because of this song. There's so much going on here that's like circa 1987, 1988. The production value, the way it's made, just everything about it. It's just it it makes you think it's gonna be cheesy that when you but when you listen to it, it really becomes something so much more substantial. Okay, we'll just we'll just run through it here. Yeah. Um like Joe and I've kinda said for a while, I've been waiting for the that lovey dovey album for him to come out. Um we both kind of will you'll know from me here, I'm a sucker for for ballady, lovey heart rendering types of music and yes yeah i know i'm i'm i'm, I'm the soft uh, shell on on this little little soldier in here i, I like love too <laughs> <laughs> i love lamp all right joe loves lamp and uh yeah the the listening to this it, it was very very noticeable early on that there was an entirely different approach to this album in every aspect you get his typical uh breathy vocalizations which if, if you are a fan of trevor something you kind of know he does most of the time I'm not sure exactly if it's, you know, if it's a mask for his vocals, you know, but I've always dug it. I, uh, I like hearing different approaches to the, to the craft. And I, I definitely think his vocals are a signature part of his style. Yeah. And I don't think listening to it, it's his voice is auto-tuned at all. I think on one track, I, yeah. I make note of it. There's one track where he uses an auto-tune, but he uses it purposefully. Right. Right. It's uh it's very tastefully done and he has a spectacular voice. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that and that's one of those things too. If you if you go back through, and he and he's another one of these retro new wave artists that just his his creative volumization is pretty intense when you compare him to your traditional singer songwriter that you would see on a major label. This guy is usually putting out an album or an EP every year, if not more than one a year. I've noticed that certain artists they just seem to they run with it. They have that creative spark. You rather than if you were on a on a major label, you would do something once every two, four, six years, depending on your name and your your caliber of who you are. Yeah, he has so much fucking free time. Yeah, he's like he's literally sitting in a room every night making something, and then because of the advent of modern technology, he can make pr- studio quality production in his bedroom and literally put an album out every six to eight months. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but yeah, we'll run through this here because I'm just kind of starting to meander about this. But uh, I really didn't find a single track in this album where I was like, well, it was it was all right, but kind of a miss. This was a strong album start to finish. I mean, right from the title track, I Want Your Love. It's it's an open, bleeding heart, new love story being told. This is the, this is the the first love you you have or or if you're in a new relationship, that's exactly what this song feels like. The lyrics are very positive. Uh, there's there's a lot of hope in in these early tracks as far as what he writes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually wrote down it's a great opening track and it sets the tone for the rest of the album. And it's uh, middle of the road as far as tone and style goes. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and that's pretty much exactly what my notes were. Um, I thought it was definitely the, a great stepping point to really launch you into the story he tells over these tracks. 
second song, and, and, and I had a hard time because when I make my notes, I put a little asterisk next to the songs I like. Um, I felt kind of bad because I should have probably asterisked this entire album. It's, it's that high a quality. Yeah. Um, but Confessions of an Addict, it was, uh, it was interesting because he uses the analogy of love as a drug addiction, and it kind of fits his previous style of writing. Um, he talks a lot about that sort of uh, lifestyle in his earlier work, but this here, the way he describes it, and it's a pretty accurate representation of how love can be to a person who seems to desire it like the character in this story is. Right, and uh, I this is my first uh, tone for the album as far as uh, I really got to sense through the lyrics that uh, he was starting to have insecurities about the relationship as yeah, far as the lyrics are yeah. concerned. It's definitely a smooth, straight-up love song, but you can lyrically you can kind of hint a little bit of the insecurities that anybody would get, you know, first starting a relationship. Yeah, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're not quite sure of yourself, you... You're putting your entire heart into a relationship, and even though you, you're you're fully immersed in the water, you're still kind of unsure whether or not you're going to drown in the waves. Right. Yeah, that definitely gets that sort of feel. Like you know, the first album is that sweet euphoria, the first song, and as like you know, Confessions of an Addict shows, you're like, well, there's a little uneasiness here, and it and it kind of continues along this path. It's like it's navigating a a, a relationship in real time. Um, that said, the next track, uh, Baby Boo, uh, first off, I hate the fucking name. I really hate it. There's a couple Agreed. of songs that, that I listen to, and I'm like, geez, man, I, I don't know what is up with the title. But the song itself is uh, it's great because it's basically a straight-up bass synth track. It's really what it is. I, I am a big synthesizer type guy. Uh, yeah, and it's one of those deals where I really, really thought that uh, it's, he's basically breaking out the toys, showing more things, uh, showing... His uh his massive use of uh whatever he's been doing he's he's really broadening his his toy level if, if for us musicians and musicians speak he's got more more things to push buttons with and I felt it was really prevalent on this track. Yeah, I I wrote don't care for this song. It's the first song that he starts delving into the obsessing over someone. Yeah, and uh, the chorus is really simple and it's very repetitive lyrics. I thought it was a little lazy. Yeah, and it, it, it was, and I think lyrically speaking, I completely agree. I didn't get a massive positive vibe from the song itself lyrically because, it's, like you said, it's very simple. It's almost paint by numbers. You know, yeah, absolutely. Pop song. But yep. the music side of it, the musicality of it, I really dug, and that was kind of whenever his lyrics meandered a little bit, and he he has his moments where they become a little bit uh, cut and paste or vanilla, um, but the music using those songs kind of carried – the weight for the rest of the uh, the, the song's lackingness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next track is uh, the title track. It's Bots Don't Cry. I would probably say this, if it's not my favorite song on the album, it's pretty damn close. Um, this, this, is, this is a song that really hits close to me as far as I went through that phase as a not quite an adolescent in the, in the late 80s when that New Jersey, New Jack, R&B like, thing hit. Everybody was doing... The, the the Roland T eight oh eight drum machines with the hand claps and the the unique just you know bass yeah. lines. So this T's. song pretty much encapsulates that yeah. genre of of sound. My my first statement about this song is right in the beginning it says, What's up with the Barry White deep voice opening? Is this supposed to be tongue in cheek? I don't know. I, I, I've I've wondered that with a couple songs here with the opening track. Um but if you think about it, if he's really paying homage to eighties like love R and B, then you then it then it can't be tongue in cheek. Right, I mean, right. I, I can see it both ways, and that's and that's exactly what my notes say. I'm like, 
Holy hell, Barry White called from the grave. He wants his shtick back. Well, I would only take this out this as a tongue-in-cheek move if the album didn't have such a serious feel to it lyrically. Mm. But then again, it might be him kind of being like, oh, hey, you know, it's not all that bad. Look, I'm still a little bit of a goofball. You know, don't. You know, obsess over this. Yeah, and and I and I and it probably it's part of it. Um, I think I think you definitely capture this is this is more going into like the the re- relationship roller coaster, if you would, of like this album. And uh, I think, in honesty, he took even his approach lyrically was very eighties based, but the lyrics themselves had a very futuristic feel to the content. I liked that a lot. I liked the the bridging of futuristic that modern noir feel to right. a very decidedly set time period. I almost thought that it was a song about a long distance relationship through a computer. And he talks about, you know, look into their cyber. Yeah, yeah, and I and I definitely feel that. And I think you see you're starting to see more of that in a lot of the artists that we follow. And it, and it could very well come down to this fact after I've listened to this album a few times, I almost wonder if this was if you look at this these characters that painted in this story as have they actually met, or is this what your modern dating is? It's like you fall in love with an image on a screen right. and words on on a page or, or a digital page, so to speak, and then you really never get to know that person in real time. I mean, the the, the title itself, "Bots Don't Cry," makes you think it's a play on a Cure song. Yeah, absolutely, it's a swipe left or right type deal. Yeah, exactly, and and it, I think it's it's a it's a pretty if you look at it that way, it's a pretty deep commentary. On yep. modern love, which it goes from really, is this a tongue-in-cheek track, or are we really looking at something that's really taking a pretty deep look at how life is nowadays? Yeah, uh, a couple of notes I had on that left was I really like the the ooh-yes, yeah, as dumb as that it, sounds. It, it that's really, really nice. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the vocal tones that he does, like the, not the inflection, but the, you know, the pitch shifting on No Matter Where You Are's are very pretty. Yeah, yeah. I, I really thought this album... In, in general, it had a great production value, but I really thought this track itself stood out for the little different, the nuances that you see, like you mentioned, the different vocal inflections, the uh, just a subtle change of tonality mm-hmm. when he sings. I, and, it, and he takes simple bits, like, like yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's essentially a doo-wop you know, trick to fill uh, spots up, but it worked a lot in this song. Next track we're going to talk about, we'll just go right through it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, because I really, I have, I have small notes on pretty much everything, and a small note turns into a five-minute dissertation. Hey, so. that's okay. <laughs> so Eternal Love. Um, this is where I really feel like the pinnacle of the the story, you know, the pinnacle of the love bloom, as I call it. Uh, this is where, you know, you're fully invested in your, your partner. Everything is forever. Everything is a fucking field of clover and gold, and you're walking together for the rest of your lives. Um, I really feel like the, the character, you know, we're listening to is at that point in this relationship. In this, yeah, story. absolutely. Um, I love the tone. The, his voice really shines on this song. Yeah, I really think so too. In my notes, it says, you know, you listen to it, his his vocal inflections, his tonality, and his lyrics. This might be some of his better, deeper lyrical content in this song. Absolutely. Uh, I, uh, he talks about, you know, uh, the, his dreams are so surreal that he feels she is around, uh, you know, he's saying, are you around? I'm dreaming. Don't even know. I also wrote that I thought this would be a great closing track if the album was not trying to follow a story format. This is a hundred percent a, a closing track for an album. Oh yeah. I, I thought the same thing. I, I had that, that thinking that I get it, um, it fits where it needs to fit in this the story as it tells itself, 
But if you were just looking at this as a as a collection of songs and there wasn't an actual dichotomy to those songs, this should be the closing track. It really had that operatic, majestic... Yeah, it has a nice fade. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like this this should close an album. And I think on a couple other tracks we may review here or later on, I had that same feeling that most of the bands we've listened to, their final track, their album closer, it nails it. It's like a dart, like a dart hitting the bullseye. Now, uh, the next track we're talking about here... Uh, the ADHD BB, which is another one there. When you first look at it, you're like, "What the hell is he talking about?" Oh, I know, but, if you, yep. but if you if you once you start, you know, digging into this song, I mean, for me as a you know a imagined former percussionist, one of my favorite toys to play with is the Roland TD eight hundred eight drum machine, mm-hmm. and that is on full display in this song. Now, I know Joe was actually doing the Raise the Roof. Uh, yeah. I don't mean to sound like a basic bitch, but I fucking, this is my favorite song yeah, on the album. Yeah. This, this, as I kept going back through it, I'm like, I, I would tell myself, I don't want to like this song. Yeah. I don't want to like, like this song. Like, come on, Joe, be a little bit more artistic than taking the fucking club banger. <laughs> no, and it is. It is a straight up yeah. jam. And it's, and it's so tasty. It's so dated. I actually looked up ADHD. 80HD is a uh, way, a shorthand way to write ADHD on the internet. Yeah, I'm not sure what the BB stands for. I've been looking for it, but I can't. I can't figure it out what the BB stands for. But it's ADHD BB. It's right in the lyrics. Is it? If you look at the uh, the, the actual like the the chorus, understand. I am what I am. I'm 1980 ADHD baby, BB baby. That's dumb. <laughs> that is fucking dumb. I'm like he went so far as to do ADHD shorthand. You fucking. I mean, you literally answered the question for yourself, right? And because you, you're like, and I'm, and I missed that part. That's the funny. You you nailed the the uh, the obtuse like obscure. I don't care. Like, yeah. That is the most basic shit on the fucking planet. <laughs> After pulling out like, ADHD, so I'm I'm literally over here, my quiet self, rebelling. No. That's what it. Means. I don't accept it. And then, and then you're like, but I don't get what the BB means. And it's, it's that. It's literally that. It's right in front of you. Fair enough, but I still don't like it. <laughs> still love the song, though. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> this is where the album starts to shift, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, it's, he's starting to question the relationship. Lo- I love the video game 8-bit sound effects. Yes. He, or 8-bit, 16-bit, yeah, whatever you want to throw in there. We're fans of that, that incorporation in that song. I, I say that this is the start of the shift for the album. Because the first half of the album is very smooth. And this is more, I don't like to say upbeat, because the rest of the tone of the album is definitely not upbeat, but it's a little more uh, rhythmic, a little faster. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is where the album starts to take a turn for the worse. Well, n- not <laughs> not the album's worse, but as far as our, our character in the yeah. story is going, the album starts to shift for him. Yeah, and this is something I didn't know if you'd pick up on it, and, and you pretty much nailed it. I really think that when you start to see a musician grow like this guy is doing right before us with this album, he's using musicality as a change of perspective, maybe even a change in confidence or even just mental clarity. Oh, I yeah, really it's, it's, a, it's a form of therapy for yeah. him. He's talking his way through meeting someone, loving someone, things getting rough and, you know, and everything. It's, it's a complete therapy session. Yeah, and I think in this track, I think this is the point where the character the, uh, the, of, of this entire record, this is where... Either it's it's they've broken up, or they've had such a fight. And, and if you listen to this song, it's kind of a throwback to his earlier stuff. So I get this vibe, like okay, he's like you know I don't give a fuck. I mean that's the that's the the hook of the song. You know he's telling everybody who will listen 
that he doesn't give a fuck. He's back in the club. He's back doing what he did before. He yep. found this little piece of gold in heaven he had. Right. And I really think that, uh, that like, you, you nailed it. Like, this is, it changes in the tonality. Like, you definitely feel that every song after this track, it's, it's not like he's skidding out of control musically. It's just the, the character's mental mindset is the soundtrack to this album, and, and it's kind of it's kind of leading back away yeah. from that path. I kind of have to disagree with you a little bit. I don't think this is a song where they break up. I don't think that comes until three tracks later. But we'll yeah. we'll talk about I, it when yeah, it comes. and it possibly could be something where this is just the first real fight, yeah. and he's left the house and he's out. You know, like you know, I you know, it, it, it's it's very evident on the pages. You know, the lyricism on that it pr- it's pretty much a telltale of of what's coming soon. And uh, an- another one, the next track, uh, "The Chemical of Love." It's it's another '80s dance hall track. Like it really, like you said, the the change in in the sonic flow of the album really from here on out has more of a a dance vibe, which yeah. is is more akin to what he usually does. So when you're talking about it's it's uh, it's one of those songs that it, this this grew on me. Like at first, I didn't think I loved it. Not, there's another one. Like, I don't want to love this song, and then the next thing you know, you're really into the track. And I'm not. I, I'm not 100 percent in for it as far as uh, musically goes, but I I love the the lyrics in this are amazing. I think. Yeah, because this is this is further continuation. Like Joe said, this is like this had to have been a, a real thing because the the lyrical connections that I I see in this song it, it's 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 almost too real in some of the things he says in this song. You know, you're getting that feel of he's convinced himself like, you know, he's he's in a self-apathetic stage, you know, he's he's telling her that he's not good enough for her. Like like he's he's convincing himself that he's the really? reason why. That's what you got out of it? Oh, yeah. I I think that this is I think this is where he starts to see that the relationship may be bad for him. And, and she does that, a lot of drugs. Yeah. She, she meant, he mentions that in the album. He can see she's bad for him, but he also so in love, he doesn't want to let go. He is still not sure if she loves him, especially with the lyric, tell me you love it when you're dancing with me. Yeah, I, you know what? I think maybe looking at it like that, I think you're probably hitting the nail on the head there. Um, he loves her. He's yeah. so in love. You know, She's really past, poison for yeah, her. He's looking past all of the bad you do. Yeah. And, uh, as a person who's really good at dating girls like this, I, I've uh, been there. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I, I definitely don't want to say too much in case anyone listens to, uh, <laughs> to to implicate anybody. But at the same time, it really did strike a nerve because it, you're, you're, you tear yourself apart in the uh, in the wonderment, you know, of is is it, is the person really into you? Is it is it real or is it just you know the, the loving the idea of someone in the moment and I think that's where the character is at this moment here he's starting to realize that even though he sees all these things for what they really are the badness in her the things that she does that probably are going to destroy him he's, he's, he's a fucking he's a, he's a drug addict yeah he he loves her but he can't let go of her because he, he's just having so yeah. much fun with her I mean if you look at like you know the confessions of an addict this song almost directly connects to that same mentos you know that ethos of of making love a drug the next track, Read Your Mind, the one thing I took away from this is this is probably my favorite drum track on the album. Um, yeah, I love the grimy beat. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. that's the thing about it too. Like, is This felt like like it, everything about it was sticky. Like the beat was grimy. His vocals were a little bit distorted. I mean, it, it really – it started – you can see this is okay. He's, he's almost like he's either really immersed in her and he's a mess – Oh yeah, or you know, or he's trying to extricate himself and it's making him. This a mess. song is dark, and you know, you'll notice on this album that the vocals, the vocal volume on this tr- album is low, and yeah. I think he's hiding a lot of what he's saying because 
this song is purely about obsessing over someone. Uh, the, they have lyrics that say, forget your family, friends, give me your love, your trust, your baby, your life, your faith, your soul. Yeah, it's, that's, it's deep and it's dark because basically this is that moment right before things usually go bad in a relationship. When you're that hooked into somebody where you're saying – you're writing content like that. You know, yeah. it's, it's bad. You know, it's, you're, you're using a pretty bad spot if you're saying things like that. Like in the next line there was, like, you know, forget your family. Tell your friends. Give me your life, your faith, and your soul. Go to the edge. I mean you're putting yourself yeah. on the razor's edge and you're basically telling this person, hey – I'm going to throw it all away just for you. And yeah. anytime you get to that point, you know, especially when you're writing it in a song, like you said, he's hiding like some of, some of his words, like it's a purposeful hiding because right. like, you know, this is, this is a, a diary being read. Yeah. This is very dark. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you just heard me say the lyrics, but if you listen to the tonality of the song, this is very, I mean, he's telling her, give me your love, give me your baby, your life, your faith, and forget your family and your friends. I mean, this is truly, you know, fuck everybody else. It's all about me now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you can definitely see like this, this second sec quarter of the album is a trajectory is strategically decidedly downward and uh, going into the, uh, the next song living in a lie. Uh, what we thought was, you know, okay, the previous track had dark lyrics. It really feels like, you know, you've got a plane spinning out at like Mach five. Yeah. You know, if you look at it, I mean, he's essentially going through this and, this to me felt like a Cure song. Like if the Cure was really sad, and Robert Smith was writing a record in 2019 as opposed to 1979, this would be a great sad Cure track. Yeah, this is this is the part in the story where where the breakup to me is. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is it's right. This is that first angry text after you know someone's dropped their shit off in a box on a doorstep. Yeah. This is definitely another song purely about obsessing, but this is obsessing after somebody's dumped you. It's a, you know, it's a look at me, feel sorry for me song. It says, I'd rather die than live with regret. You'll miss me when I'm dead. This is like, you know, 14-year-old emo, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you've, you, it's... it's and the world is over because my boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with me. I'm going to die if you don't come back. But yeah. I mean, we all feel that way. I mean, it's I'm not poking fun at the feelings because these feelings are very real. Oh, yeah. It's just I think that's the most generic way to try to get across to people that this is kind of the tone that yeah, it's going after. You, you need me, you know, everything yeah. you're doing after this is a lie. I mean, that's what you, you get from this track. And, and I think you nailed it in the head. This definitely has a very adolescent anger to it and, absolutely and maybe and not always because i've met very very a lot of adults that have the same reaction to a breakup so but yeah you can definitely get the vibe that this is when the the division of church and state so to speak has happened in this album it's not like it's even something very simple or or obscure i mean if you just go through the titles of these songs looking from start to finish the next track is literally it's over it's over it's over <clears throat> and it's funny because I felt there was a definite cure influence in the previous song. The f- introduction to this song, I felt 80s Depeche Mode behind the wheel. Oh, yeah. I never even silence. thought of that. And it's funny because he has covered Depeche Mode in the past, and he actually did a kick-ass job of covering it. Right, and this is the song where you know Trevor is coming to terms with the relationship being over. He's talking about being sober now and as sober not as far as a drug or chemical, although I do feel like Trevor delves in a little oh, yeah. bit of the extracurricular activities. I, I, I agree. I think, I think it helps him relate, and I, th- I like that use of something he's familiar with right. as a metaphor for what we're talking right. about here. So it's a kind of uh, a double-edged thing here where he's talking about being sober, being sober from her, 
and being sober from any you know chemical influences he might have. But he's still holding on to resentment and anger at her in yeah, these lyrics. Yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely a little bit under the the surface. It's yeah. not it's not as overt as it was in the previous track. But uh, but yeah yeah I definitely feel that in in this track here. And then you know going into the final final song here, which is "Please Don't Leave." And, yeah, and it's an album closer. <laughs> You know, and I honestly thought this is the first time where I've heard him do something that was almost a hymnal. Because right. The song is almost a whispered prayer in the darkest hour of the night before you wake up. You know, desperation in his words, his voice, and uh, and it really felt to me like he's waking up. And I think if this is a character study, it's it's telling you that he. I think he's realizing he's going to be okay. But at the same time, if you go through the lyrical content, he's still. Holding on to that small grain, maybe, just maybe. Yeah. This is a song, if it's over, is him, you know, it, this is the drunk text. This is the morning after. Yeah, when he re- he, lo- he looks at his phone, he realizes 85 sent texts from right. him to his, his lover. He's begging her to come back in the song. I wrote, I wrote, the first sign that someone is insecure is saying, I'm not insecure. And... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not insecure. I just don't trust anyone anymore. And, uh, you know, or I've just been lied to so many times before. It's it's complete oxymoron, but I actually like the way he uses it because yeah. he's he's self-aware, but at the same time, he's still believing in, in the facade of what has happened, has transpired in this, this relationship of an album. Right. The song is very drone-like, and it goes back to a mellow tone. And, you know, it's a, it's a great closer. It, it kind of has the feeling of... The song has a sobriety feeling to it, like kind of accepting but not really oh yeah uh, it, yeah it kind of it kind of leaves you at a cliffhanger i think where it, it, the song just kind of drones out and you don't know really where he's at in this yeah. headspace yeah and but i definitely get the uh, the vibe of like this is that stark morning realization of 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 what's happened and not knowing what's to come and i think you nailed it perfectly how that song just fades out into the ether yeah so that's uh that's the last song on this album. What are your final thoughts or summary on this? Uh, my final thoughts are this is by far my favorite Trevor Something album. Um, I've always been a believer in the fact that before this record, I thought he had some great songs. Yeah. A lot of great songs. Um, Ultra Paranoia was the first time I thought his his collective focus was great for an entire album. And I really think this is taking that that level and raising it one more. I think this is his best piece of work. Um, I'm gonna guess as we've spoken about that this is a very, very topic close to his heart. Maybe that pushed it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I, I think someone who writes as prolifically as this guy does, it's surprising that he doesn't suffer from burnout. You know, a, a lot of these artists do a lot of stuff, and you know, and with music, you know, not all of it's great. You know, we know this firsthand. We've got ten thousand songs we've written, and maybe, maybe there's twenty of them that are good. You know, it could be more, but. Uh, but yeah, his 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 ability to be a musical chameleon is fully on display with yeah, Don't Cry. He's absolutely stunning. The yeah. amount of work he does. I think the only more stunning than that is the fact that more people don't know who he is. And that's yeah, it's a kinda, shame. That's a real shame because I think if you put him on a in front of an audience within six months, he could be right up there with any of the pop giants that are up well, there. Well, yeah, now. and he's going to appeal to all kinds of crowds because he has music for everything. I mean. He's, I mean, yeah. he's got dance music. He's got pop music. I mean, he's got love music. He, and, he, and even you look at some of his EPs, he's even done some punky post-punk yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some some rock elements to his his approach. Did you give it a number rating out of 10? Out of 10? I would definitely say out of 10, this to me is probably a an 8 out of 10. Um, 
just because it's a really great album and I'm still working through like what I would gather like high or low. I, I feel bad not giving it more, but I, I, I kind of feel between a 10 yep. and a 5 is somewhere where it should be. You? Well, like I said, I listened to the album a few times and I kept hearing that something was going on in the lyrics. And I listened to it again while reading the lyrics all the way through with the music. I, I give a point just based on keep sticking to a story format. I mean, you don't see that very often of uh, an album starting and ending with the same story. I give it an 8 out of 10, and it's it's because I, I only have a couple problems with the album. And now that we've talked about it, I, I kind of think I want to scrape that off. Trevor's voice is very droned out. I feel like if you weren't paying attention or reading the lyrics, you would have no idea what he's saying most of the time. But as I kind of worked my way through earlier saying, I think that was on purpose. Mm-hmm. I think, well, obviously it was on purpose. But I think it was more of a, hey, just pay attention to the music while I sit in the background and, you know, work my shit out. This album is definitely made to be listened through good headphones or surround sound speakers. Oh, without question. This is something that if you're just, you know, listening to it on your phone, you know, while you're waiting for someone to show up, you know, at a meeting, you're going to miss a lot of nuance. You're going to miss a lot of texture. It's definitely a headphone or a hi-fi system listen. The tone and mix is such that if your EQ of your stereo is off balance and the treble, all of the vocals could be completely lost. Second, some of the lyrics are very repetitive, and once you read them, you can really see it. I mean, you don't really hear it when you're... In the moment. In the moment, but if you're being critical of the album, which we're trying to be, I mean, yeah. you, you can pick these things up. But yeah, I gave it a 8 out of 10. Uh, it's early, but this is going on my list of contenders for albums of 2000. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely on my list. Um, I was very surprised by how much I liked it first listen. Yeah, so there you go. If you're interested, the album is Bots Don't Cry and the artist is Trevor something. We're going to sign off now, but don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Music Attic Podcast. You can email email us with questions, comments. Hell, you can even give us uh, requests for albums you'd like to hear us review and yeah. act like we might know something and tell you about it absolutely and uh that being said too uh any we, we've made this clear before any bands uh your friends of ours on our facebook pages you know socially um you want to put something in front of us to have us take a look at it and if you feel our opinion is valued to you uh please reach out to us um uh, we would definitely we'd love to hear new music and we'd love to be challenged by uh by what's out there so please don't hesitate to get in touch we promise we will be nice we won't you know tell you your music sucks because we are not trained in the field of real music criticism but who the fuck really is music is yeah, subjective. subjective everything about it is subjective it's an opinion let's like assholes we all have that <laughs> so anyways i think that's gonna do it i'm joe and i'm will and we love you have a good one peace